Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a one with one horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG loving friend. For the front matter, if you like what you've heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help other people find us. If you'd like to suggest a game, be a guest, or just say hi, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me on Twitter at notalone underscore har or via email at youarenotalonepod at gmail.com. This week, we're starting a very special holiday arc, just a little bit late. I got to sit down and play Pick Me with the writer, Brian Sago. You may recognize Brian from his amazing game Butter Princess, which we played last year. Butter Princess has gone on to win awards and just get a lot of general acclaim. And rightfully so, it is a very good game. Pick Me is Brian's newest game. It is a rooted and trophy game about misfit toys competing for the love of a child on Christmas morning. You start out with the magical creation of your toy and make the dangerous journey from the North Pole to your new home. It is a really cool game that manages to be equal parts terrifying, touching, and hilarious. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed playing. Let's jump in. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Uh, things are going great. Thank you, Blaine. Fantastic. I'm glad to hear it. And thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to give Pick Me a try. Always happy to play with you. So I guess let's just start with a real quick uh, tell people who you are, what you do, and where they can find you on the internet. All right. Uh, who am I? I am a uh, artist, a writer, a teacher. And I've written Butter Princess, as you mentioned, as we played about a year ago, and written Pick Me. Written a few other games, illustrated a few, including another Christmas game, The Wassailing of Klaus Manor, which is coming out essentially right now. And uh, where to find me on the internet? Um, my internet presence is in flux. I, uh, search for me, you'll find me. I'm out there somewhere. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, if they find you, maybe they can help you find yourself yeah. uh, if things are in flux. Um. Awesome. Yeah, I'm real excited. I mean, I think anyone who listens to this knows how much I love Butter Princess. Um, and anyone listening to this should go check out uh, The Wassailing of Claws Matter. That is also amazing. Uh, your illustrations in that are fantastic. I love the like woodcut style. Thank you. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Pick Me. Uh, give us kind of the elevator, uh, slightly extended elevator pitch so people know what they're getting themselves into. Sure. Some people who played it uh, described this as Toy Story if it was directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> uh, for me, it was inspired by the, by the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials, those little stop-motion animation things with Bambi and the elf who wanted to be a dentist. And uh, I felt like Trophy Dark Rules could fit the idea of animated uh, children's toys being delivered at Christmas. And yeah. Um, yeah, to make it dark and ugly and tragic, the child's only going to love one of us. And uh, from there, a game was born, I guess. Fantastic. I do love the like trophy treatment of the Rankin. Rankin-Bath stuff already has like its own slightly unnerving style to it. Everything is just a little bit weird. And just amping that up, the Toy Story by way of Cronenberg is a great description. Um, it's not a game I realized I wanted, but uh, the second I heard about it, really, I was like, oh, yeah, this is very much a game that I've, I've wanted to exist for a while. 
Thank you. So yeah, um, I think we've played enough trophy games on this podcast that I'm not going to spend really a whole lot of time, uh, or any time really, uh, talking about the rules. I think people uh, probably know them by now. If not, um, we've gone into detail in uh, Butter Princess and both of Gabriel's games and Trophy Dark ages and ages ago, so... Uh, folks can go back and listen if they are so inclined. So yeah, just a quick uh, talk about safety. We have uh, filled out some lines and veils on the character keeper that we're using. Um, so we have hard lines on uh, homophobia and transphobia, racism, and sexual assault. I feel like those are, you know, most people's standards, um, but certainly uh, not things that would even probably come up in a game about toys, but uh, certainly we do not want to be part of our game. Um, and I always, you know, have the X card in play. So if either of us get uncomfortable with uh, the way a scene is going, um, or even just don't think it's terribly interesting, we can always say, let's X that and we will pivot and uh, figure out a better way to move forward. Sounds great. So I would say, do we want to introduce our characters and then we'll jump into the first ring and kind of finish up uh, filling out our, our characters? Yeah, let's introduce the, the game with its opening paragraph. Uh, let me read it. Oh, yes. Go right ahead. Pick me. You are toys lovingly crafted at the North Pole. will be packed in Santa's sleigh and delivered for Christmas morning. You are destined to join a family you have never met. Unfortunately, the child will not love you all equally. There is room in their heart for only one favorite toy. This has a theme of disappointment to frustrate expectations, deprive of a position, or fail to arrive. And that's what we're going to play to find out, I guess, is who fails to arrive and who lands in the loving arms of this child. Fantastic. Um, I love both of these characters, and I already kind of don't want either of them to be disappointed, but uh, one of us will be. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, why don't you tell us about, uh, Count 1,234? Uh, thank you for saying my name properly. Um, so, uh, oh, Blaine, let me jump into Ring 1 a little bit here, because to, to tell us about Count 1,234 is sort of the essence of Ring 1. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we can jump right in and introduce our, our sweet, sweet toys. Yeah, where this where this is this game is slightly different than other trophy games is that ring one is you introducing your toy essentially as an advertisement, and so a lot of other games you introduce your character before you start play. Here, we're in play almost immediately. Excellent, I love that. That's a a cool way to get everyone kind of immediately in game mode. Thank you. So ring one is a letter to Santa. Santa settles his weight into his rocking chair bites a pipe, and reaches into a massive stack of unread mail. With a bone-handled letter opener, he tears into a wish from the child. The handwriting is full of hope and want. Some letters reversed, some words curved down where their writing met the edge of the paper, yet the child hadn't finished writing all they had to say. The letter describes you, each of you. Smoke curls around Santa's yellowed whiskers, and he mutters under his breath, Seems like more than one child can handle. 
What happens to the letters from hopeful children after Santa reads them? That's a really good question. I feel like that does a lot to set the tone of this game. Yes, indeed. I think to go both a little bit dark and a little bit uh, light, uh, I think what happens is after Santa reads a letter, he throws it into the fireplace and it burns up. But then in the smoke from the letter, the form of the toy that the child asked for takes shape and drifts over to the elves' workshop. Oh my god, that's so elegant. <laughs> that's amazing. I absolutely love that. Thank you. Um, I'm still going to kind of push us through the opening movements of Ring One here, because it's going to introduce both of our characters. Perfect. You haven't yet been built. You exist as a toy in the child's imagination. The child has requested you, Blaine, you specifically. You're about to be built in Santa's workshop. Knowing what you will become, describe what the child wrote in their letter to Santa, how your toy line and customization meet those wishes. Uh, so, uh, my toy is uh, the Magnificent Fisto. He is uh, of the Sergeant Sokka McFisto toy line. And I think he is uh, the newest model uh, where uh, he is a dress-up doll. So you get like a variety of weapons and armor and clothes that you can put on him. Um, and he also has a like rocket fist that can detach and fly at, uh, fly at things. Of course, um, in the commercial, it always flies perfectly and like, socks the bad guy and knocks him out. Um, the reality of that as toys with springs uh, often are is much messier um, and less uh, less well-aimed. But the goal is that his rocket fist will uh, fight all the evils of the world. Um, all of those pinko communists coming for the great American ideal Terrific. Uh, for for my toy, I am count one thousand two hundred thirty four. The long and fabled line of my first counting rings, TM. <laughs> I am one thousand two hundred and thirty fourth in my line of counting rings, and we are always handcrafted from the finest quality hardwoods. And it will lead your child to a better academic outcome if you begin their academic development with our line of toys. I mean, that's what you want. You want that early academic jump. Yeah. And why does the child want me? I, I make learning fun. That's what I do. How could it get any better? <laughs> I don't know. you got a rocket-powered arm that <laughs> defends the world, so it could get better. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it really depends on the child. Uh, we'll find out which they prefer. Um, Blaine, will you describe an advertisement that convinced the child you're desirable? Yeah, I think that there is a series of, like, 
mini cartoons that have started to air uh, for the whole Sergeant Sokka McFisto line of toys that is very, like, G.I. Joe-inspired, um, you know, nebulous enemies that all have serpentine names mm-hmm. who are trying to, I think because it's Christmas time, uh, you know, the Snake Commander is trying to ruin Christmas. Um, and maybe it's even a series of advertisements where, like, they're all attacking the North Pole and uh, trying to get Santa Claus to stop the toys from being delivered. And uh, the magnificent Fisto and his uh, brothers in arms all have to use their various weapons. I think all of them have, like, different little things that can shoot off of them. Uh, And so there's just a whole series of them defeating uh, these would-be Christmas ruiners. That's fantastic. Uh, How about you? What is the advertisement that made the count uh, so enticing? Oh, it's uh, it's an advertisement that looks a little bit dated, like the the film when it starts rolling looks decades old, like kind of flickering. You hear the the reel, and then it cuts back to a modern salesperson who says something to the extent of, you know, do you remember the toys of yesteryear? Do you remember the toys that lasted? They were handcrafted, made of hardwoods, lovingly created by by the hands of skilled craftspeople. And then it kind of slashes through with, not made out of plastic. And then it shows, like, dripping plastic and goes into kind of a weird, creepy, uh, like, why was that advertised to children? Sort of, like, dripping plastic thing. And then it cuts back to, if you love your child, make sure that they're counting with natural wooden counting rings. I love it. Gotta avoid the plastic. Yeah, yeah, I did... Plastic is, uh, it's not going to go anywhere good for any of us. Alrighty. Uh, Blaine, how might the Magnificent Fisto fall short of the child's desires? So I think, and this is uh, inspired by the writing here of uh, substitutions may be necessary. I think that there is, in the creation of the Magnificent Fisto, Uh, You know, he's supposed to come with all of this, like, armor and weapons that you can put into his non-rocket fist um, and all of these, like, soldier accoutrements. Um, And part of where his name comes from is he's accidentally been packaged with a set of uh, magician's clothes. So he's got, like, a cape and a top hat instead of combat armor. And a magic wand instead of, uh, like, a a machine gun. Uh, And I think that he's really proud of this. Like, it makes him distinct and different from the other Sergeant Sokka McFisto figures. Uh, But he is terrified that the child will hate magic uh, and thus hate him. Picturing this this toy figure with his cape top hat and magic wand running through a battlefield going pew, pew, 
with the magic wand. That is kind of exactly what I am, uh, I am imagining. Despite my skills in pugilism, I think that I, he doesn't like to fight. Uh, like, he likes to try and pretend that he's a magician. He doesn't want to be a pugilist. He wants to be a prestidigitist. I think I'm saying that right. Prestidigitist. I, I think that's, uh, that's the correct way to say that. Uh, so my fear is that he is terrified that the child will hate magic. All right. Uh, on the character sheet, this has a special thing where you can add a fear. It's basically a condition to play with. So I guess add the child might fear magic. Oh, you've already done it. Great. Well, how will, how, what is the count afraid of? Yeah. So this isn't count 1,234's first Christmas. Uh, I've been neglected at the North Pole for a while, not distributed, sort of like lying here in cold Arctic slumber. And um, I'm afraid that the world may have moved on, that the children desire toys with lights and sounds and uh, Bluetooth accessibility. And uh, I am but a, a... well, some would say humble. I would say a venerable wooden toy. Um, and that uh, I'll be seen as like the old grandpa toy. Like, like kids don't play with that anymore. That is so sad. I feel bad for the count now. How many? How many Christmases has the count been neglected? Well, the count is really good at counting. Um, will you bring that question up again whenever it's in a really tragic moment, like in ring, I don't know, whatever, three, four, five, like remind me. Certainly we can, we can return to that. Um, fantastic question. I think it will be much more dramatic a little bit later. Perfect. Uh, you're real bad for the count now. Well, it's a good thing that ring two has hope in it. Um, we might be ready to move to that. I think we are. Yeah, I think uh looks like we've checked off kind of all of the questions for Ring 1. Yeah, Ring 1's kind of fast in this. So as we transition to Ring 2, um, envision in your, your sleeping head little elves consulting blueprints as a gentle arctic snow wisps across the ground outside. They are planning our construction and uh, soon to be hard at work constructing the toys for the child. Ring 2, Workshop Genesis. This is the moment of our creation. Give reason to our nature. In Santa's workshop, a team of elves assemble us part by part. The air is lit by the green glow of the aurora borealis. Tiny orange oil lamps illuminate the work of the elves. The sounds of saws and hammers murmur in the workshop. The elves sing jolly songs to pass the time as the years go by. How do we know the elves cannot leave? Took a very dark turn. Um, I think that uh, I think it's a pretty simple image in that we just see like in this big building, like in the center is where all of the construction is happening, and along the edges of the room, we just see like bunk beds built against all of the walls, 
and the elves are working in shifts. So, like, some elves are sleeping, mm-hmm. and some are getting up to work, and some are getting ready to go to bed. Um, and we just see that, like, all of the elves, their entire lives uh, revolve around this single space. Is this sort of like the crew on a submarine where they share the same bunk and they, like, slap each other awake? It's your turn. You're on shift. Yeah, yeah. I'm imagining there's, like, twice as many elves as there are beds. Yeah. And they sleep in shifts and build in shifts. Oh, all of these questions are very good. There's a lot. Yeah, don't uh, tell me if there's too many or how we make it better. Oh, no, I think I think that, you know, to just being two of us, I think it makes sense to go back and forth on these. So how do the elves sabotage their own work to subvert the man in red? I feel like they know that he's very proud of his shiny black boots and he has to trudge through the snow. And they feel like the more he has to trudge through the snow, the more those shiny black boots get worn down. And so they often deliberately mispackage things. They, they, you know, they know exactly where it's supposed to go and to which child, and they try to sort of swift them off to the side so they end up in the wrong box and the wrong gift wrap to make Santa have to backtrack on his his once-a-year nightly path. Um, Like, you know, he's got to deliver a lot of packages in one evening if they can make him backpedal to undeliver a mistaken delivery. That, to them, seems like the greatest joy possible. That is fantastic. Just a little, little twist of the dagger. Uh, a couple of elves are gossiping as they're tapping away on their little hammers and saws. Uh, and they have, they know the truth. They know what Santa's jolly nature truly conceals. What do these elves describe? So I think that there is something that like all of the elves know and only gets talked about in the, in these whisper sessions is that there is just something wrong with the way that Santa sounds when there is silence. Mm-hmm. Almost like there's like the sound of bone grinding on bone uh, or something wrong like on his insides that in perfect silence you can hear. And I think that is why he so often has that boisterous, jolly laugh and kind of uh, loves to go on gregarious speeches about the magic of Christmas. Um, because if he ever leaves that silence, you would know that there is something deeply wrong about him. That's gruesome. I love that. <laughs> so I think that we see, since the elves can't leave the workshop, I think that there is a, a non-elf, uh, a member of, uh, Santa's house staff um, who brings in a barrel or a uh, wheelbarrow of coal to light the fire um, to keep the workshop warm and to keep any 
tools that they use that need like a power source running. I think all of the generate, like it's probably some generators for, for tools that uh, are all run on coal. Um, and I think we see the camera kind of pan out and there is just this like massive mountain of coal looming behind the workshop that is obviously used both to heat and power the North pole but then also as a source of coal for all of the naughty children. Uh, so where does Santa get all of this coal from? Forget about the naughty children getting the coal. <laughs> <laughs> as, as they dump out the wheelbarrow full of coal, like it all clatters down. Uh, there's a, like a flattened smear that's whimpering. And it's a, a sugar plum fairy who got crushed by a piece of coal. Um, oh, no. And, yeah, one of the elves sees this and kind of tries to, like, put their shoulder in the way to, like, block the view of the overseer. And they gently peel the wings of the sugar plum fairy off and tuck them onto their lapel. And they say, kind of whisper, like, it'll be okay. You'll, you'll recover. Like, just walk it off. Like, kind of patting the sugar plum fairy on the, the back. Um, and this sugar plum fairy is is coughing and wheezing like coal dust coming out of their lungs. Santa's coal factory is entirely stuffed by tiny little sugar plum fairies who are forced to labor underground. I don't, I don't like this North Pole. We will be. We are toys. We will be liberated soon. If only the child loves us. Hopefully. All right. Moving on in ring two, as the elves make you into a custom toy, something goes wrong in your creation. Each player should invent or choose a defect and make a ruin roll. If you need ideas for what goes wrong, there's a few there. Um, but what might go wrong in the uh, manufacture of the Magnificent Visto? That is a good question. You already mentioned the magic capes. Yeah. Um... I that would technically be a defect. I I I kind of built that in with the disguise kit stuff. Uh, right. Um I think that maybe to make him even more uh sort of unusual from the pack, uh I I, I have been imagining the Sergeant Sokka McFisto line as based on the old muscle toys. So they're all that like weird flesh color um, with like oversized heads and hands. Um, I think that the pigment is done wrong. And I think maybe he's like neon green mm. instead of the like fleshy pink of all of the other McFisto line. Nice. Uh, can I? I've got an idea for an add-on. Tell me if you don't want it. Um, you're neon green, and when your ratchet arm uh, unique punch ability activates, you leave a glowing green trail of slime. Is it like launches forward? I love that. Uh, leave a glowing green trail of slime. Yeah, that's real good. Yeah. That does definitely feel like a ruin roll. Uh, so let's see here. My ruin is three. 
Let's see how this goes for me. Well, that is a four, so uh, off to a great start here. Yeah. Well, the moon goes up and you get the condition of slimy fist trail or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we'll just go slimy fist for now. Uh, see how that plays out. Uh, so what is what goes wrong in the creation of count 1,234? I do appreciate that you use my full name each time. Um, I feel like it's an addition of plastic, but I don't know what. Oh. Do you have any ideas? I like the idea that maybe even just like one of the rings, like they run out of wood during the construction. Uh, and so the one of the rings isn't able to be made out of wood and they just substitute it with. Yeah. Uh, like very generic plastic ring from like one of the modern counting yeah. toys. No one will notice. All right. That's fantastic. All right. Um, whatever. Let's do a run roll to see if uh, it gets ugly for me. Yeah, five. I'm I'm ruining up also. Excellent. We're off to a great start here. Um, where are my conditions? There. Uh, plastic ring. This is going to feel like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail with the like one, two, five, no, three. Why <laughs> like, certain rings are skipped in the counting. Yeah. And you know, like if it's the bottom ring, the weight of the wooden rings on top could start to damage the plastic ring because it's not. Ooh, a yeah, good. Yeah. Like a whimpering ring. I like it. Alrighty, what else do we have here in Ring 2, our workshop genesis? Um, oh, a question for each of us. How were you involved in the accident that led to this defect of the other player? Interesting. So, uh, yeah, Magnificent Fisto. Um, count 1,234 has been aging in the Arctic Circle for a while and needed a, a fresh paint job and kind of saw that brilliant green paint and just rolled a donut ring right through it and absolutely knew that there was going to be like a spin-off splatter uh, effect, essentially. And just simply did not care that the Magnificent Fisto was nearby and was going to get coated in bright green paint. It, oh. it was, you know, the Magnificent Fisto is, is, you know, so much more modern and less worthy of, uh, what do you say, concern for their well-being. And so I didn't care that green paint was going to get splattered on you by my donor ring. I could have prevented it, but I chose not to. See how it is. Yeah, I think that uh, on my side, I think that, you know, after being built, I, of course, had to test out my rocket arm, my rocket fist, uh, and make sure that uh, it did everything it was supposed to do. And uh, I think I was, like, aiming maybe for, like, a coffee cup that was sitting on one of the workshop tables. Uh, and as I said, you know, uh, and as with anything with a spring, 
you can aim where you want it to go, but you're not guaranteed it's going anywhere near that spot. Uh, and I think that, uh, the magnificent Fisto accidentally knocked the last piece of wood in the workshop that would be used for that final ring, oh. uh, into the fire, oh. uh, accidentally. Oh, that hurts. Just like with my little googly eyes watching it burn. No, no. What will we ever do for ring number two? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and now now one of your rings is plastic. Excellent. All right, looking at terrors and temptations for this ring. And leaning ourselves ultimately towards a hope for our character. Is there anything you want to pitch towards me? Yeah, let me take a look. I think I want to take Donner the Reindeer. Order for you, Magnificent Fisto. Perfect. Yeah, I'm looking at, I think, so I think for count 1,234, I think that you see as you're sitting there on a table getting ready to be packed up, that sugar plum fairy from earlier that came in with a load of coal is limping very slowly towards you. Uh, and I think it comes up and in a whisper. It says, you, you're good with counting, right? Yes, that is my nature. Oh. We need your help. We, we're trying to escape. And we need to know how many sugar plum fairies there are. Please. You're the only one who can, who can count us all as Santa takes you to the sled. He'll, he'll take you through the mines. Please, please count us. And I think it starts to like cough and it like hacks up this like, Bile-filled loogie that is like dyed pitch black uh, from all of all of the coal dust in its lungs, and I think it collapses and is dying there right in front of you. And it's like, please, please count. Only you can do it. Oh, to this this sad dying sugar plum fairy, I say, safety in numbers, my friend. I am the one, and I, I gaze up at the Aurora Borealis for a brief moment, and that moment might be too long. It's possible that in that moment the Sugar Plum Fairy expires, that I should have performed some sort of resuscitative act. <laughs> um, but I got a little egotistical there. You are the one. Yeah, is that a rule and roll for uh, Count 1,234? I think it is. Yeah, I think that, like, I, I mean... There seems to be some ego, but I feel like as someone who has been at the North Pole for quite some time, there's probably at least some feeling of solidarity with all of these lonely, sad creatures that Santa has running his operation. My ruin rolls a five, so I'm going up. Uh, Jeez. Yeah, early, hard, fast. Um, what's a good condition? Uh, I think maybe like savior complex. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I feel like you now have this, like you are the one 
who will liberate all of the creatures of the North Pole. I like that a lot. All right. As this sugar plum fairy dies, there's sort of that like, no, no, no. And count 1,234 gazes upwards to the aurora borealis and sees visions of sugar plum fairies dancing in the uh, the night sky and realizes there's a greater purpose. Meanwhile, uh, Magnificent Fisto, or sorry, the Magnificent Fisto, uh, being lovingly assembled by these elves, uh, one of the reindeer kind of meanders on through the workshop, kind of clump, 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 clump. They have a little bit of a carte blanche because of their their important role in flying the toys elsewhere. And uh, this reindeer, whose name is Donner, their, their nostrils flare out with that, like, and their reindeer tongue licks their reindeer jowls briefly. And they say, are you the Magnificent Fisto? Uh, and I think that he, uh, like, pulls his cape around and does a, like, uh, extravagant bow. And he says, yes, yes, I am. Have you come to see the magic show? Sure, surely. I am having a party later, and I, uh, I have a special, special sense of the clientele that I seek. And you, the Magnificent Fisto, seem very delectable. Uh, invitable, invitable. You seem very invitable. Oh, do your other guests love magic as much as you do? Yes, we love magic. And then there's like a clacking of teeth, of reindeer teeth. <laughs> well then, you will have the show of your life, Donna. What's it look like when the Magnificent Fisto arrives to the, the Donner party? Uh, I think he's come, he's carrying like a miniature case behind him. Like, it looks like a big hope chest, but very tiny, uh, that has his magic supplies in it. Um, and I think he has come prepared to do, uh, a full magic show for the guests of this party. Who are the guests? I think it's a, a mix of, um, like Donner is there, uh, maybe one of the other reindeer. We'll say Blitzen just cause, you know, they go hand in hand in the song. Yeah. Um, and then like, some particularly rough looking sugar plum fairies. Uh, like I think there's a sugar plum fairy that like has part of a wing missing and is like wearing an eye patch. <laughs> uh, I think maybe there's like an expat elf who is like, there are like wanted posters around the North pole for this particular elf who left the workshop. Um, but to just like a bunch of really seedy, undesirable looking Elves and sugar plum fairies, and it's the North Pole, so maybe some like, uh, like a talking squirrel, uh, who's got a switchblade. Nice. Like that talking squirrel with the switchblade is like whittling a bone down into some kind of scrimshaw. 
I love it. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think there's a naivety about the Magnificent Fisto. So, like, it's immediately obvious that this is not a good situation. You know, this is a very rough and tumble crowd who probably does not actually like magic. Uh, but I think the Magnificent Fisto enters in, uh, like, all bravado and is like, Hello, are you all ready for the most magical? I am the Magnificent Fisto and I have arrived. That sugar plum fairy with the missing wing turns to that wanted elf and says, Oh, the spirit of Christmas, it's always alive, isn't it? And uh, the elf lays a little bit more money down on the table. Uh, And I think he, uh, the Magnificent Fisto sees that and he's like, if you're betting if this will be an amazing evening, oh, you will win. <laughs> um, Donner, the reindeer, is over there licking their chops and uh, with their reindeer hooves sort of assorting a, what looks to be a spice rack. And they're like making sort of a dealer's shuffle of like, ooh, paprika? No, maybe a little more cardamom. No, maybe what would go well with the Magnificent Fisto? Trying to plan out a spice profile. And they say uh, that the show, the show will begin. I can see that you're hungry for magic. And I think that the Magnificent Fisto just immediately launches into, like, all, like, relatively adeptly done, but, like, very much, like, very low-level, like, you know, all of the magic tricks that you get in that, like, my first magic kit when you're, like, five years old. Yeah. Uh, So, like, the little guillotine that you can put your finger into and press down and, like, the blade just, like, lifts up as it hits your finger uh, and just does all of these very rudimentary magical tricks for the crowd who I'm sure are not into it. Looking at your array of skills, you've got a lot that applies. This seems like a risk rule. Yeah. Action, command, disguise, pugilism, anything? Um. A risk to entertain the audience? I'm thinking maybe pitch in disguise, because, like, this is, again, like, very rudimentary magic. Um, so kind of, uh, playing up that, like, uh, simple things disguised as magic tricks. Like I said, like the guillotine that uh, the blade just yeah. lifts up. Right. And the, like, rope tricks where, like, it looks like you cut the rope, but you really don't. So will this impress the audience enough that they'll let you go and Donner will not eat you? That is a good question. Yeah. So you've got a light die for the skill, uh, Devil's Bargains. What do you got for me? Oh man, that that broken wing sugar plum fairy needs to get on the road. They they need to be your assistant. They will insist, like uh, you know, I'll applaud and clap and back you up, but like I will be at your side as we escape the North Pole. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm taking that one. What could go wrong with a 
a, a, a gang member Sugar Plum Fairy as a sidekick. Sugar Plum Fairy with tattoos. <laughs> um, I feel like it's safe to say that my body is at, at risk here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, considering they want to eat me. So two light dice and a dark die, it looks like. Perfect. Let's give this a roll. Ooh, well, that is real bad. Uh, I got two ones on my light die and a two on my dark die. Ooh. Uh, so that is a full failure, and my dark die is the highest, so I cannot re-roll. Oh, man. The Magnificent Fisto. Real bad start for us here. Yeah. Um... Uh, at least my ruin doesn't go up. Although it might be about to. Right, that's true, yeah. Um, I I don't know the scale of the Magnificent Fisto to a full-sized adult reindeer. But I'm imagining you're smaller than the full-sized adult reindeer. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the Magnificent Fisto is uh, maybe like two inches tall. And so... Your performance, well, describe your performance, I guess, and how it it, uh, it doesn't quite muster up to what you want. I think that, uh, you know, I just was made in the last, uh, you know, couple of days. And I think that I just have not had the time to practice all of the tricks that came in my, in my suitcase of tricks. Uh, and so, like, it is very obvious that I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to, like, sleight of hand magic. And so every trick I do, and I think that the Magnificent Fisto is, again, naive enough to believe that he thinks he's doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. But, like, every trick is very obvious, and, like, even the most unobservant person would see, like, what the trick behind it is. So Donner leans in, giant reindeer snout kind of uh, like smelling you. And there's a big slobbery reindeer tongue that like just and clicks your body. And Donner says, oh, the magnificent Vista, you are so delectable, even in your naivete. I've been... Playing toys back and forth for so many years, they don't all make it to the child. Some of them, some of them, uh, let's just say, some of them feed the potion system of the sleigh. They, they, uh, they give us a reason to want to fly through the night air. And you... You will propel the sleigh so quickly tonight. And then... My magic is quite powerful. And Donna looks over the shoulder and says, Paprika. Bring the paprika. Thank you to Brian for such an awesome game and for joining me to play it. If you like what you heard, definitely check out Butter Princess, which is currently available. Pick Me will be available at some point in the future. And thank you to you for listening. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join us on January 19th for the next part of Pick Me. And until then, 
remember that you are strong. You are beautiful. And you are not alone. Because I can't 